Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Let's give them a warm round of applause. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Carolina, can you say your name for us one more time? Carolina Batslavia. Okay, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> it's so great to be here with Carolina. Our first books came out at the same time, and we met that way, and we met up for drinks, and I was like touching her face by like the second beer. We just really liked each other. Oh, I don't touch everyone's face. God, I feel so lucky. Yeah. That was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Everyone should be so lucky to get Kathleen to touch her face. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk um, about the book. Um, I am reading a section from the, uh, the relative beginning of the novel, which, uh, which deals with... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the tenants of this of this uh, brownstone building in New York that are uh, slowly losing their kind of maternal landlord to dementia. Um, and this concerns the landlord, whose name is Edith. Since the days when Myrtle Avenue around the corner was nicknamed murder for cautionary reasons, the days before crews from the city came to dismantle the yellow cane seats and leather hand straps of the elevated train, the days when men who built ships at the Navy Yard used to travel in packs with their cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves and curtsy at women and hoot, the days when several generations of family overflowed onto their stoops in the summer, Sixty-six years she had spent at the same window. Of course, there was much that remained. The magisterial art students from the nearby institute, their fashion shifting but their insolence and unwieldy bags of supplies the same. The steady pour between six and seven o'clock of those with jobs in Manhattan, the grunting up their stairs nearly collective. At her core, Edith believed herself to be the same person she'd been at 5, 12, 23, and so aging was mostly a point of interest, almost an entertainment were it not for its increasingly tangible interceptions in her daily life. Were these really her veins, a purple so bright as to seem inorganic, her hair thin and staticky, so reluctant to cooperate? She forgot sometimes that these were hers, and more recently other things, gaps she found amusing or depressing, depending. Using a can opener became a deliberate, thought-through act. While reading, she had to concentrate, or else she was likely to follow some memory around a low-lit corner. Her daughter Jenny's first birthday, the living room vibrant then and filled to the ceiling with balloons the baby didn't know whether to carouse with or to fear. She and Declan just married and new owners of the building, naked and sweating out August in one of the apartments yet to be rented, her linen dress balled under her head as a buffer between her tawny waves and the hardwood floor, his expression so different than when he'd courted her with flowers. 
how feverish her sister June's eyes had gotten when she'd visited Brooklyn and then the city, how she'd marveled at Edith for going without hose and hailing black taxis. Owen, born second, surrounded by primarily colored blocks, content to play alone. The taxi he insisted on taking to college with money he'd saved. Declan, an Irish drinker with a nervous heart besides, buried 12 years now, and Jenny Goner dead more years than Edith had actually known and held her. The same building, their apartment unchanged, though the spring before Declan died, he'd had the whole thing repainted the color of milky coffee, had enjoyed sitting on the scaffolds with the men, yelling things down to her, and passing emptied glasses of lemonade back through the windows. Theirs had been a protected love, this fact reliable to her since the Navy Yard produced vessels as tall as 70 men. And even after he collapsed, finally, while applying lather to his face with the wide bristled brush, it was another object she kept in a box full of things that told her the story of her life, and she fingered it some afternoons and felt wildly envious or obsessively tender, it being the last item that had touched the perfect line of his jaw. The tenants over the years had followed a cycle nearly generational, seeming to arrive and leave in demographic groups, their incomes growing and manner refining as the years went by. The couples who showed up with hands clasped, the women peering into the closets as if they might find another room or some other unexpected benefit, the men checking the locks on all the windows. Few in the decades of suburbia's blossoming, lasting more than a year after the appearance of children. When they knocked to return their keys, the toe-heads balanced on their hips and reaching for their mother's earrings, Edith always wished them well in their new lives. The present mix of renters was somewhat unlikely. That is, Edith might have thought so had she possessed the curiosity and energy to find anything at all very strange. She drank them in like tap water, unconcerned about their original source and the details of their travels to her, though she welcomed them in for coffee or tea, and always waved when they passed on the street. The young-seeming man in 2A, right above her, was certainly the kindest. And he smiled at her so broadly that she never minded the music he made, which filtered through his floor down to hers, a muddle of cymbals and electronic keyboard and fractured song. There was something wrong with him, she'd noted when he first moved in, a slant to his eyes and point to his ears and thud to his step. His sister, a tired woman in business attire, stopped by daily, her arms often full with groceries. Across the hall from Paul, who preferred Polly, or just pal, he joked, was another man, and he didn't look or behave young at all. He'd been there the longest, 15 years or 20, and had changed as much as the neighborhood. A stand-up comic, or had been, in the beginning and doing well. Gigs at all the best clubs in the city at a time when New Yorkers lined up around the block for the chance to laugh and drink beer in those crowded sub-street spaces. The things had slowed down for him, and he didn't seem all that funny anymore. Edward used to have people over, loud ones who seemed to be competing with one another for the sonic space until the outbursts of synchronized laughter came, amplified by liquor. When Edith saw him now, he always seemed to be burdened, ascending the stairs slowly, sometimes sitting on the stoop for hours at a time with a pen and a small black notebook, rooted. 
She had once spotted him at the corner bodega, standing in front of the glass doors by the sick packs of imported loggers, and nearly approached but retreated when she noticed the shaking of his shoulders. On the third floor, Thomas. He reminded Edith of a professor, the way he thought so visibly, part of his forehead often wrinkled. A few weeks after it happened, he had recounted his stroke to her over tea with such grace that she had reached for his hand, the one he could feel, and squeezed. Struck with an urge to give him something, she hurried down to the long, untouched portion of her closet, withdrew Declan's favorite sweater, meat with leather elbow patches. He had not recoiled at the dead man's cardigan, had instead pressed the wool to his face and breathed in, and after that he wore it regularly and always attached small notes or pressed flowers with his rent checks. When they appeared a few months later, Edith did not ask about the scars on his lifeless arm, the lines straight as grids of maps. His 34 years had done almost nothing to dull the glowing skin of boyhood, which made the slack left arm, the unmoving side of his face, even harder to witness. The girl across from Thomas in the last years of her 20s acted like something hunted. Edith doubted she'd seen Adeline four times in the past year. She dressed much like Edith had when she'd first arrived in New York. Tailored wool skirts and silk gloves, hats with netted veils, leather clutches. Her hair crafted with the care that had disappeared from fashion long ago. Her lips colored but not glossy as was typical of young women now. Either she came and went in the middle of the night, or she came and went very little, and her hands shook like underthings on a clothesline. The few times Edith had been up to the top floor recently, she had lingered outside Adeline's door, drawn by the sounds, warm, crackling music, low but still audible, songs Edith had spent time with decades before. From the street, one could see the brown lace curtains that hid the girl, and the lights always on, attending to her as she fought off sleep. Thank you. I wrote my questions down. <laughs> okay, so I loved this book, and it felt so intimate to me. Uh, I felt like you were letting us peek into the lives of a group of people living in this apartment building. Um, and everyone had was dealing with their own sort of decline and Edith I saw her as like the matriarch of the entire building and I was just curious how you decided to build a world full of these kind of characters and really who came first oh um that's so interesting well um I think that there were a couple characters who existed in short stories but um those iterations weren't you know, fully formed, or I wasn't fully satisfied with them. And, and all of the characters, I think what I figured out the best way to explain it is that all the characters are attached to an issue that was very important to me at the time of the book's conception. Um, Edith was important to me because I think that uh, her you know, her maternal impulses are a little misguided and, and, and they're a result of, of not feeling satisfied with the, um, you know, the care she's provided to her actual family in the years preceding. And um, Adeline's, you know, fear of the digital age is one that's very similar to my fear of it. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, and so, and so, yeah, they, I mean, a couple of them existed in various forms, and some of them were just a surprise, you know, it was just kind of like a, 
split-screen security camera, and, and I noticed that on camera four there was something that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> oh, that's, that's such an interesting way of, of talking about it. I mean, I feel like I've had characters, too, that'll show up somewhere, and they're sort of still sticking with me or telling me there's more to the story than the small space I've given them, and they need more. Yeah, yeah. And and sometimes they're sometimes they're better formed in in a you know in, in an arena or in a problem that that hadn't occurred to you in the first time, or there are other you know like I'm always fascinated by the things that certain writers keep, you, you know, writing, and they're not always people. Like this is a discursion, but Joy Williams has this thing where in like three of her books, she has a character who is listening to a uh, radio show that is called Action Line, and Action Line is a show where like people call in and they're like you know, what's this, like, dust that's falling on my house? How do I make a better lemon meringue pie? (laughs) And there's this man who has all the answers, like, this very mysterious man. And, like, the fact that that shows up repeatedly is, is, like, proof to me that we don't always know. We have to try a number of times just, you know, to work it out. Yeah. Um... The other thing I love so much about the book was your sense of place, and the apartment building feels so finely drawn to me, and it feels as finely drawn as later in the book there's a motel room, and and I just kept feeling like in every place you introduced to us, I was there. I could see it. I could smell the room. I could smell everything and touch everything, so I was just curious if you start with place first and build the rest, or what your process feels like. Um, well, I think I'm definitely character driven, but I think that I have like a particularly um, obsessive uh, memory for places. Like since I was a kid, it seemed as though like if I could, if I could really get down like the color and the scent and the light of a place, then I would be able to determine like the effects of that day upon me. If that makes any sense. So I think that you know. Um, it, the, the way that I come to a room is, is first by a character and then kind of cinematically by just determining the sensorium, really. It does feel like you write very visually, so I'm curious, like, in terms of, do you feel that film is an influence on how you think, or it just is what it is? It's, it's a hard question to ask, like, why do you think the way you do? How do you do this? How do you do this, Kathleen? I don't know. I, maybe it's like just like one single childhood event that's not no longer available to me. You know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, so there's a sense of confinement in the novel. A lot of the people in the book feel like they're trapped in this apartment building, but in a safe way. Uh, some people, it's self-imposed, and others feel like they don't have a choice. Edith, you know, uh, it feels frightening for her to leave the apartment because of her dementia. Um, But then you do this beautiful thing where you open the world. And without giving anything away, did you feel it was necessary to the novel to have people be able to leave? Um, it was it was something that that I thought about uh, a lot, um, and and like certainly there's a kind of there's a kind of claustrophobia that I felt when I was writing, which I wanted to be, you know, uh, transmitted to the to the reader. But um, it, you know, in the way like th- th- this wasn't like a center that would hold, and that was something that I knew from the beginning. And and the way that they end up you know separating themselves from the building was not 
was not in my head when I began, but I don't think that I ever thought that it would be able to stay within this situation that is, you know, quickly becoming dangerous. Um, you have a lot of characters in the novel, and you were reading their uh, the section that you read sort of introduced them all and and where they were in their lives at one point and where they are when we meet them and. It felt like everyone got equal billing and it felt very balanced and I was curious if that came naturally. Did it feel like a difficult thing? Did you feel like the book could only sustain so many people? Um, you know, one of the characters that exists didn't, didn't exist initially. Um, and maybe, maybe two of them came to be much more like fully defined than than I expected they would, but I think that the way that that happened um, was it was sort of like you know you're in a car crash and there's and there's an impact and it's like felt throughout the vehicle, but it takes a little while to de- to to determine and so you know anything anything you know anytime anything happened in the plot, I had to like kind of go through the whole vehicle and see like where there were cracks or where there was a scratch or whichever and that like kind of leads to a better understanding of, of character. But so any time that anything happened, I was just like, you know, looking around again, looking over my shoulder. That's so interesting. Did it, did it take <laughs> a lot of drafts to get there? Like, while you were writing, if something happened, you'd say, like, okay, how does this affect Polly? How does this affect Edith? How does this affect Thomas? While you were in the midst of it, or did you go back? Um, no, I mean, th- th- that is essentially how I work, but, like, you know, um, when I went back and reread it, there were, you know, there were certain, there were certain responses to events, um, you know, with regard to one character or another that felt a little bit anemic, and so I would have to rework them or you just, just reconsider them. Um, there's a character, Polly, who I just mentioned, who has Williams syndrome in the book, and it's clear you did a lot of research about that. And I was just curious if you could speak to the necessity for getting it right, and if you do, if you did research on other parts of the book. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it's a little bit, it's a lot of responsibility to 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 write about a syndrome in that way. And I spent some time with a family that had a, you know, a 32-year-old, relatively independent um, woman with Lame syndrome and and talking to both of them, like, independently and as a unit. Um, But I was, like, careful not to transpose those circumstances onto the character. Um, Can you speak to what William syndrome is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder in which, um, you know, in which... The people affected are are by and large disabled, but they have these certain gifts. Their 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 like personal lexicon is very unusual, um, and they're usually gifted in narrative. And ninety nine percent of them have um, you know are in the uh, the ceiling of perfect pitch, so they're often really engaged with song and with music, and um, they're just these like very social, curious individuals um, who happen to have these other very real deficits. So, um, yeah, that's Williams syndrome, and um, and I'm trying to think what other research that I did. Oh, well, there's this there's this event in the in the in the end of the book that involves this this 
rare behavior of a certain type of firefly. Um, and I did do some research for that. I drove down through the Smoky Mountains and through some really hellish parts of the country and um, what happened. Maybe almost got killed a couple times in Virginia. By who, <laughs> by, by who or what? Well, so what happened is um, I, I was in this town that I think is called Bland, Virginia. And I was going to a swimming hole that is called Dismal Falls. <laughs> I was really looking for a theme. Like, it was a crazy trip. Like, my mother had just died. I was a mess. I was having panic attacks. It was a really crazy thing to do. And I went into this store, and there was um, a news- There was a newspaper that was called Crime Times. And Crime Times calls all local uh, mugshots recently, and it has, like, the descriptions of the crimes that all people have committed. And some of these crimes committed are amazing. You know, it's like illegal possession of boat plus illegal possession of a wild animal. You know, it was like the bookings were incredible. And I was so excited to see Crime Times. I obviously assumed it was a free weekly that I just ran out of the gas station with it in my hand. And this woman came out yelling that I had to I had to pay or for the crime time. Crime time. I was gonna be in crime time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Something else with some fishermen at a swimming hole, but I'm okay. I survived. Well, and you ended up living to write one of the most beautiful sequences I think I've seen in a book. I'm obsessed with fireflies, and it just felt so magical uh, to to read about. And I think you captured this sense of like amazement with the world and what was possible. I almost felt like we were finally seeing the world through Polly's eyes, this like pure vision of beauty that I thought was just incredible. This like trick, you tricked me into like feeling like a child again. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's good. I appreciate it. Um, Okay. So uh, one of the most compelling characters in the book for me was Adeline and you mentioned her in what you were reading, and she's an example of, of being forced to change or accept change in your life in this book. And I was, it was interesting to see each person in the novel going through some kind of realization or personal growth through force or trauma. And I felt her change was triumphant even if she didn't want it to happen. And I was curious if you could speak to that or like what your larger project was with the novel in terms of... like forced change these questions are hard I'm sorry I really <laughs> no. I love the book so I was like I'm gonna ask a really like I feel weird like I should have received a, a spreadsheet or <laughs> some, some at least a google doc this is the last question <laughs> so make it good <laughs> um yeah well I mean what's interesting is is a uh, you know Adeline's problems are like are you know are very literal. She's an agoraphobe and she's she's in a place that she that she can't get out of. And I don't know that I was that I was like totally aware of the of the obvious nature of that. Um, but I think that it that it it was kind of you know the other characters' problems are maybe a little bit more uh, a little bit more ineffable or, or nuanced. But I think she was kind of like the test of like the emotional veracity and you know and like narrative sturdiness of the book like if that didn't work out it would have felt very um hollow and and underthought so something i really thought and rethought and rethunk and thunk (laughs) and rethunk yeah uh okay this is my last question what are you doing next oh um i'm working on a novel that's about uh the intersection of 
Vietnam War activism in the um, American Space Program in the 60s, and um, it kind of like it kind of like gets gets bigger as the novel goes on. Like there are more and more kind of voices, so um, it's tricky. I'm really enjoying it. You love writing a lot of characters. Yeah, right? I guess so. I guess I so. It's hard to do. It's hard to balance. It's hard to juggle everybody. But I think like you found a way to do it in a really good way, yeah. in a smart way. What do you do when you have a lot of characters? Do you take notes? Yeah, because sometimes I'll like forget the person's name or I'll panic that I haven't given them enough page space and so I'll go back and this is the first time I've been the book that I'm writing now that I've actually gone back usually I'll just finish a first draft and then go back but I'm finding myself going back in each chapter and and filling out before I move forward I don't know if it's a successful way to write but I feel like it's necessary with how many characters I have. Yeah. I remember, um, I, I, this is a very quick story, but once I went on like a very unsuccessful date with this very timid man and he's like you're a novelist and he had this like he had this shake in his voice and I said yeah he's very sweet and he said I could never do that and I said why couldn't you do that he was like a, he was like a writer and a writer and he said I could never name the characters <laughs> <laughs> that was the scariest thing to him I thought that was so sweet that is it, don't you find though that if you name a character the wrong name it just feels so corny like you can't they yeah. just seem like a corny character and you're t- failing them by n- having the wrong name. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it takes a couple times and like baby webs, baby name websites. Baby nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's so terrible. Like there's no other resource or name directory than like baby names, which is like a weird space that I don't want to be on <laughs> in the internet. Yet. Popular baby names of 2015. I'll name this narrator Madison. I'm going to name mine (laughs) perchance. Brooklyn. Okay. (laughs) Great. Uh, (laughs) Do you have any more questions? Just want to have a few babies up here and have the audience name them. (laughs) All right. Great. Uh, Does anyone have questions? Someone has to ask one question. Yes. So you, in talking about your process, were referred to looking at security cameras. Oh, yeah. To find, like, old characters that you had, as well as, like, being an insurance claim assessor for, like, a car that was damaged. And I thought it was, like, <laughs> It's so funny, because I didn't say insurance. <laughs> you said insurance. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> Thomas, I don't have insurance. I'm sorry, please ask the question. <laughs> Are there like other roles like that that you have to fill when you're doing it where it's like you're not, you're less a, an author and more another profession when you're looking at your work? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, I will say that, like, I, you have to, you have to double check a lot of your impulses. Um, some of my impulses are, like, very maudlin, or it's something that I'm, like, very much aware of, like, is the, has the feeling in the scene, you know, been earned, or, 
uh, is that something that I'm like trying to, you know, like is it a, a couch that's too big for the room I'm trying to fit it into, you know? So I'm thinking about that a lot, and um, I'm usually um, I read I read my work aloud a lot to 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 think about rhythm and and to, and to think about like whether anything has been ex, you know excessive. I don't know, you know, it's like a, a like any good cook like tastes his food along the way, which is something that I'm not even really good at doing when I'm cooking, but I'm getting a lot better at. So, but I have to do that in my writing a lot. Yeah. John, do you have a question? <laughs> don't do that to don't do that to John. Um, how did you find your agent? Oh. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'll ask, how have you found, um, you know, this is your second book. How have you found the experience from your first to second book? Or, like, just the experience of being a, an author and being in the world and putting your work out? Well, I think it's like a, you know, it's it's analogous to being in, like, a very hilly city and, like, not, you know, the next mile is kind of like hidden from your view. I guess I was just driving around San Francisco this morning, so I'm thinking about that. But, you know, I wanted to write my whole life. And uh, to a certain extent, I thought if I published a book, then I would be in this place I had always wanted to be. But really, it's more like driving your car up a hill, and then you see a place, you know, like you, there's, you just see that there's a few more miles for you to travel and then there are another few miles so um you're never you know you're never happy and you're never quite doing the the yeah you're just always trying to you know reach the full potential of your work and it's not it's it's less like it's less like getting somewhere definite than like I don't know I feel like I'm gonna about to say something really embarrassing about journeys and so I don't (laughs) I like want to stop now (laughs) Um, but I'm very—I mean, I'm very happy with how this how this book turned out, and um, you know, I feel lucky to. I think, like you know, one of the greatest gifts of of, um, of of being a little bit more established is having a lot of friends such as yourself, who are skilled writers and and um, with whom I can speak about this sort of stuff all the time. You know, it's very strange to be a writer who doesn't know very many other writers, and it's a much different experience now. Yeah, I I feel like. You have people looking out for you, you, we, writers, especially with the second book, like when people are looking forward to what you're coming up with next. Like there's this sort of safety net of people who are all cheering for you that I think with the first book, I didn't know what to expect and no one really knew who I was per se. Now there's this sense of like, oh, she's back. It's been like a few (laughs) years. What has she come up with? Um, And it seems like with each book you get more of an audience, so people expecting and waiting for what's next from you, which is interesting. One would hope. One One would hope. hope. Please keep reading our books, yes. I have a question. I'm ready. Kathleen's ready for it. So I've I've heard tell that you've been trying to get into Edwards Air Force Base for quite some time now, every time you come to Los Angeles to uh, do research for your next novel. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever get into Edwards Air Force Base? And is it important? If you don't, will you still be able to write about Edwards Air Force Base? 
I think that like like there's something about like my personality that they can just detect on the phone these like military guys because I've gotten into fights with them on the phone because I made a joke that they did not think was funny and then they said it was a high security area. And Are you blackballed one. now? Do they write your name down somewhere? I mean, the, the thing about having your name written down is that you don't know you've had your name <laughs> written down. But I wouldn't be surprised. What was the joke? Well, I was like, you know, he had said that I could come during this time and that he would save space for me if I couldn't come sooner. But then he didn't save the space for me. And so when I called, he's like, oh, now, now that tour's full. And I said, well, you know... He's like, you know, it's it's a it's a van, and it's the van's only got so many spaces. So, and I said, well, you know, sir, I could always just, uh, you know, step up on the back of the van. He's like, uh, it is a high security area, ma'am, and that would be uh, highly dangerous and would not look good for any of us. And you know, then my then my name was was written down. Do you find that you have to go pl- to the places that you're writing about? Um, I guess this goes back to the research question, like. Do you feel that's necessary in order to write about a place? Um, I think it depends, you know, like, um, f- for me, there's like a, the, the, the veracity of character is, is, um, is, is the first thing to, to check off. I mean, I think it, you know, it depends circumstantially. So, you know, place by place, I guess. Well, two questions. Go on. Um, you have an energy that reminds me of Didion for some reason. I know that you oh, that's great. Like, I am actually sometimes. Okay. So I feel like maybe this kind of like vibe of Didion of Brooklyn or something is, you know, circling. I'm just wondering, are there women writers? You have a very unique, intelligent, nervous kind of attack on things. And I'm just wondering, are there women writers that you look up to? Didion certainly had those qualities. And they're very unique. And, and um, even though Didion aged and continued to write, she had a youthful voice always to her writing and always attacking um Air Force bases. <laughs> <laughs> um, the question is, do I am I do I look up to any female writers? Can you hear a voice out there that really speaks to you in terms of what you're trying to do? Um, well, that's interesting. You know, I think there are a lot of writers that uh, that I love who aren't necessarily my teachers, or at least in any way that I can uh, detect. Um, Joy Williams, who I mentioned earlier, who just has a, a collected book of stories that's just come out, which you should buy, um, writes these very, you know, surreal books that are uh, that are abs- absurdist at the surface level, but that are, you know, emotionally are very disturbing. You know, you can have things happen like, uh, you know, the dead wife returns to the dead wife returns to the bedroom of her widower, and you know, replays replays fights that they've had in this very hilarious way um, you know but but it feel it feels very real and it feels true to us even though that's not the world that we live in um, Joe Williams is incredible you know Alice Monroe uh, I think is a great is a great Alice Monroe is a great teacher um, but she isn't you know she isn't someone uh, who, I'm, <laughs> who I'm emulating it's funny how you mentioned I had a nervous energy and then I broke the microphone do you want mine no I don't need a microphone I really don't it's fine. Um, you're really funny too is that like is anybody I love women don't really write to me I don't I have maybe go there are plenty of women who write humor. You should read um, you should read the New Yorker shouts and murmurs section. That's very funny. You know, I think that I think that women, you know, for for very good reason, as a, as a gender 
we're afraid of not being taken seriously. And so I think a lot of women's first impulse is to is to write uh, fiction with a capital F or journalism with a capital J or um, you know or whichever it is. Uh, but you know, hopefully that's hopefully that's changing. Um, but yeah, I could we can speak privately about my favorite humor writers later if you'd like. But you sh you should look at shouts and rumors. I think. Sure. I can. Um, but it's yeah, literary writers who write humor. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, Joy Williams, who I mentioned, is very funny. I mean, are you talking about people who are writing just humor? No. Um, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can look at Joy Williams. I, she's a genius, but you know, I wouldn't think of her as. You're really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are funny. Um, I think she's very funny. I mean, but I think you know, also, um, you know, humor is different for like for all of us to you know we detect it in different ways and we find it in different places and and um, some you know there there are definitely those you know there are sometimes those jokes that we tell that we think are hilarious and you tell it to a room of people and they're like that is so dark what happened to you that you find that funny. <laughs> I think probably people think that about A.M. Holmes. I think she's hilarious, but yeah. she's very dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. <laughs> I love it, whatever you do. It's great. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I have a question. In the beginning of the book, you're bouncing between characters pretty much every two pages. And I was wondering if you wrote their histories one at a time and then blended them, or did you write it straight through? Um... No, no, you know what I would do, and I think that this was like a way to sustain momentum, because like when you're spending time with any one person, fictional or not, like it's easy to get sick of them, so um, as a way to kind of like, you know, it would be like one part of, the part of my brain that was, uh, let me rephrase this, I would, I would work on one character, and then the next, and then the next, in a pretty steady rotation, but I think that that kind of like there would always be like an implication, you know, that that needed some some tinkering with, and like I was allowed to kind of relax and think about that in a more, you know, backroom kind of way as I was writing the next um, section. That's how that worked. Great. Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much for coming, you guys, and thank you, Skylight, for hosting. Thanks a lot.